Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Great to have that passage open, if you can keep it there. This is the continuation of our series that we've been doing in Colossians. I'm going to pray for us, uh, because maybe we need some help this morning, so let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it's living and active. We thank you, Father, that you've preserved this ancient letter, and we ask this morning that it might live in our midst, because your Holy Spirit is at work. Father, challenge and change us to be more like Jesus, for we ask this in his name. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, it's very important that we remind ourselves that we don't just pick up the letter in verse, uh, verse 18, which is exactly how we did it this morning. So if you've come in and you've thought, good gracious, what have I done? I've come to church and the first thing is, wives, no, let, let, let me... Let me set the scene for us again. We've been working through this letter from chapter 1, verse 1. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see there's been quite a bit before this part. So let me just refresh you in how the logic has flowed. So we started with chapter 3 saying Jesus' death and resurrection is the key thing that defines the life of the Christian. Jesus died for our sins and rose to show that we can have eternal life. That then has been connected to us through our baptism. We've begun a journey with Jesus by joining our lives to his in baptism. A few weeks ago, I spoke of the lifted eyes life. In other words, we're supposed to lift our eyes up and go, how do I live? I live looking at the resurrected Jesus who's at the right hand of his father in heaven. That's how I'm supposed to live. And that will mean, as Stuart reminded us last week, that we make a whole bunch of character choices in our lives, significantly different lives, because we choose to make Jesus our king. That then brings us to the passage before us, which I've called weekday worship. Weekday worship. The, the reason for that is uh, a little, well, allow me a little excursion. Do, do you know, have you, have you heard me speak of the car park miracle before? Steve has, yeah? The car park miracle. Here's the car park miracle. You just finish having a fight with your spouse in the car as you drive into the car park of the church. Everybody pulls out of their pocket their bright and shiny face, and we put on our bright and shiny face, and we play happy families for about an hour and a half, which is about as long as anyone can possibly pretend before we go back out and resume our normal life out there in the world where we're battling backwards and forwards with kids and maybe with each other. And so if we are only Christians here in this hour and a half, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? And so what we're going to be asked to do today is to take our worship of Jesus out into the world beyond here. He's going to ask us to think about how we live as husbands and wives, parents and children, and as workers and masters. That Those different levels are all going to be spoken to today. And so I've called it weekday worship. And I want you to see that it comes under or after a whole lot of everyone comments. Okay? comes after a whole lot of everyone comments. So we're going to be very specific today. But but Paul has just spent a whole bunch of time talking about things that everyone should do. Masters, slaves, husbands, wives, children. All of us need to do these things. So things like, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature in 3.5. Rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, 
rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Not just husbands, not just children, everyone. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are beautiful things that we are all required to live with as Christian people. And then he he sums it up in, in, in verse 17, immediately before our reading began, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there is a sense in which whatever you're doing, in whatever station in life, we have a collective set of responsibilities before we get on to the specifics of what I've called weekday worship. But I want us to frame what we're hearing today with a very clear understanding of what the ancient world was like. We live in a very different world to the world that Paul was writing to. And that world starts with the pater familias. And you're like, wow, why have we got a large elephant seal on the screen? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, If you see an elephant seal, they're gigantic, right? So right like that, it's probably taller than my head. Okay, what happens is the paterfamilias, the big uh, beach master, comes onto the beach and collects a harem of girl seals around him and dominates an area of the beach. He is the unopposed master of that part of the beach. No one is more powerful than him. And if anyone comes along and challenges him, well, it's, uh, you know, bashing and biting and all those sorts of things. He's the unopposed master. Now, in the Roman world... The unopposed master was the master of the house. Now, you think, I'm the lord of my house? Uh, No, 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 no. They would have husbands and wives, plus their children, maybe their adult children, they would still live in the house, and then their children would live in the house as well, plus all the slaves. And so one man, the pater familias, He would be in charge of the whole household and he would have the absolute authority in that house. Let me give you an idea of what that looks like in practice. Uh, I found this quote. He goes on to argue that the husband has the rule of the household by nature. This is ancient Roman writing. The husband is the rule of the household by nature. For the deliberative faculty in a woman is inferior. In children, it does not yet exist and in the case of slaves, is completely absent. Now, as we read that, what we need to hear is a society that is organised in strata. And it says that the pinnacle, the beach master, is the head of the family home. That's very important for us to understand. But then we see this letter of the Colossians, and it's an extraordinary assembly. This is the floor of an ancient Christian gathering place, that was just uncovered near a jail in Jerusalem. Sorry, at least in Israel. And uh, you can see the picture of the fish on the floor there. That was inlaid in the floor to indicate that it was a Christian gathering because the early symbol of the church was a fish. Now, what's amazing about this gathering is that people are there. Now, we're going to hear in our reading today that he speaks to wives and children and slaves. And you go, of course he does. But it's not, and of course he does. What it means is that under the hearing of this letter, as it's read out in church, he's assuming there are slaves and masters. There are children and parents. There are husbands and wives sitting together in one place under one Lord. 
what he's assuming is that they're there and that they matter. And that is actually a truly extraordinary thing. So we need to see, first of all, that the Christian gathering is amazing because it's so flat in social structure. They're actually there to hear what is being said. The third important bit to set it up, and I, every time I preach a passage like this, I'll have a similar image to this one. Uh, does anyone remember when you used to have a phone on the wall? Do you know when it would ring? And do you remember when it would ring, you'd pick it up and you wouldn't know who was going to be on the end of the phone because you couldn't see their number? Some of you are old enough to remember this, right? And then if you sound like your mum and your dad, right, as you pick it up and say, hello, it's the such and such household, who says that these days? We, but we used to, right? And they go, oh, hello, Bob, it's blah, blah, blah. And they start launching in, you go, oh, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm actually, you know, I'm the son, not the dad. Does it, well, the daughter. Has anyone had, do you remember this? Old school. Anyway, that used to happen. You'd get a phone call and you'd be taking somebody else's phone. Now, today, we're going to hear a phone call from God for wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters. It is absolutely vital that you don't pick up someone else's call from God. What we have to do is we have to listen to what God is saying for us to do. We don't get to pick up somebody else's call from God and say, hey, God really wants you to. That isn't what this is about. What you need to do is you need to pick up the phone and say, yes, it's me, God. What are you telling me to do? I don't get to yell God's instructions for someone else to them. Everyone clear? To each one, there is a word, but you don't get to apply someone else's word to them. It's not how it works. I want you to see that Christ has called us to freedom. It's a beautiful thing. He didn't buy people who used to be law-abiding Jews and then give them a new law. Freedom flows through the Christian church. That is what it's supposed to look like. However, the worship that Christians offer is shaped by God's world, and it builds a God-honoring society. What that means is there's actually a shape to the way Christians will live, and if we would do this, if we would do this, we will be part of forming a society that is pleasing to our God. Well, that, I say all that by way of setting us up. Let, let's have a look at what actually is said to these various parties. So the first one is verse 18, to wives. But let me tell you a little bit about wives before we dive in. The wives of this time. If you were a wife of this time, it is more than likely that you were married young. And when we say young, probably on average 14. Your husband, on average, is 25. That changes it in your mind, doesn't it? So when we think about parity, how even are they? Husbands and wives are not even. They aren't even in terms of power. Have a listen to this um, dreadful quote, uh, ancient quote. A wife should be loved like a fortune got legally, but I would not wish to love even my fortune forever. It's horrible, right? Okay, now why does he even say this? He says this because a wife would come with a dowry. Does everyone know what a dowry is? Basically, the wife's family would pay to the husband a, a, a little sum of money, a, as much of a fortune, to take the wife on. So she comes with a fortune. Fantastic. But this despicable statement here says, well, I wouldn't want to love a, 
a fortune forever. I mean, my goodness, it's just appalling. So parity and power, not in favor of the wife. And then we've got this idea of patriarchy. It really is a household headed by one man. That is the reality. So even if you marry a son in the household, he isn't the boss. The father of him in the household is the boss of the whole house. It's a male-dominated society. But then I want you to hear, Paul can't be telling them to do something that they're already doing. He must be asking them to do something new, or at least to do it in a new way. So what does God want to say to wives in this setting? Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Well, let's think about what this means. Submission is firstly to the Lord. This is so important to get, right? The head of the wife is actually, if she's worshipping Jesus, Jesus. What we're asking her to do then, according to this passage here, is to worship Jesus and then to find expression to her worship to Jesus. So submit yourself to the Lord first, and then lovingly to put yourself second in your marriage relationship. To put yourself second in your marriage relationship. To seek the honour of the other in word and deed. So in your marriage relationship, wives are being told, because you love God, submit to your husbands. Now, I assume that this was because Although the husband was powerful in ancient Rome, the act of submission was still a choice of worship. A choice of worship. Worship to God, not to the husband. A choice offered to the husband. See, I think it's possible to be um, <laughs> to, to white ant and to undermine and to disrespect even under, even under authority. In fact, I would argue that it's actually an Australian strong suit. We love it. If there's someone in authority, we can go, yep, and then we go off and we do something else entirely because that's kind of in our nature. So what the wives are being told here to do is not to just sit under authority, but as an act of worship, to place yourself second to your husband. In other words, to remember that this is a broad direction, not a tight restriction. He's not saying something very specific and going, wife, this is exactly what you have to do. He's saying, no, no, there's an attitude of worship where you offer yourself to the other. It's worth saying here, and I want to be explicit and careful, this in no way ever provides justification for domestic violence. The wife is offering something to her husband. It is not equipping a husband to demand or ask anything of his wife. We utterly reject that here. Physical, spiritual, or verbal abuse has no place in a Christian marriage. Well, what would God say to a husband? It's worth thinking about Christian marriages. They were different to Roman marriages. Roman marriages were all about heirs, okay? What I need as a husband is somebody to pass on my fortune to. The one who will inherit that is a male offspring. Why do I get married? because I need male offspring. That that is literally what it's on about. And so I might do it for that reason, and then I might do it to make an alliance with another powerful family. So kids were actually betrothed to each other from even younger than 14, sometimes from as young as 11. Crazy, right? So marriage is functioning in society to provide heirs and alliances. And it's worth saying, do this carefully, 
it wasn't in any way for sexual gratification because a master of a household had access to anyone he wanted. Now, this, is, this is, just blows our mind, right? But it was never for that. So they could keep concubines. They could have any of the slaves that they wanted. It's a terrible world, guys. It really is. And so we need to understand that that wasn't the reason. They were doing something very functional and very societal. So in that context, with a powerful husband, what does God want to say to a husband in that environment? Well, I want you to hear how mind-blowing it is. I want you to hear how mind-blowing it is. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's what he says. It's mind-blowing because it says that they are to cherish, they are to love their wives. Now, I I said to um, the guys um, earlier, um, some of you might be married, uh, do you remember how you pursued her at first? Have you forgotten? When you pursued her when you didn't know you could have her, you probably treated her like a queen because you needed to persuade her that you were worth it. Why did you stop? We're supposed to cherish her as at first. The love that is envisaged here is spelled T-I-M-E, time. Actually takes some time. Are you putting aside time for your spouse? It is no mistake that Paul exchanges, says that the husband here is to exchange harshness for service. Love your wives involves seeking her good before yours. Seeking her good before yours. Now, this is an extraordinary setup. Husbands, you are told not only in acts of service, but in your words too, to love your wife. See, I reckon a bunch of guys will go, hey, I am loving my wife. I work hard. I pay the mortgage. I, 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 I do my stuff. I mow the everything. It's, I'm doing my best. Do you speak your love? Husbands, love your wives. Incidentally, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, our, our, our world out there would say, um, wives sub- submit to husbands. All right, we're out. Can't hear a thing you're saying after that. It's just a terrible word. What if, what if the picture was one of mutual service and submission, where you were trying to outserve each other in your marriage? I can assure you guys, if the world out there has rejected what we say in here, have they done it for their happiness? Is it a happier world out there when husbands and wives aren't being told to to outserve each other? It is not. Here is life and hope and joy in marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. But there's more. Children. And we all go, and it happened this morning. Um, I read this passage to my kids last night. Right? No, 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 you just picked up the phone call for somebody else. Now, children were incredibly disadvantaged in this society. I don't know if you know, but the husband, the head of the household, could say, I don't want that child. And they would be put out. It's called exposure. What's exposure? They would literally be left outdoors unattended until they died. I don't want that one. Out. Any deformity, any girl who came at the wrong time. See, she's a burden on me financially. Out she goes. Despicable, but it happened. So exposure. 
education was uh, dependent, it was a bit of a lottery. There was no state education, so not everybody was educated. Not all parents were educated, so they couldn't educate their children. Uneducated and working from very young. And then excluded from society, a little bit like a bottle of wine, they, they, they grew value as they got older. So the older they got, they had, the more they had to contribute, right? So keep a few on the shelf, because you, you lose a few along the way, because child mortality was really high. And so they would grow in value over time. What would God say to children in this environment? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Well, that's actually not radically different to society, but the reason for their obedience is. Obedience flows from godliness. The fifth commandment, and now you guys all know the fifth commandment just like that, don't you? Oh, sorry, okay. Honour your father and mother. Fantastic. That's the fifth commandment. Honour your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In the Old Testament, the Jewish kids were told to obey their parents so they might live long. In the Roman world, they were told to obey their parents because you have no value until you're older. Here, Christian children are told to obey their parents because it is pleasing to the Lord. Can you see how this is their act of worship? Do you see how this isn't imposed and crushed on them by society? But children choose to honour God because it pleases him when you obey your parents. That changes, I think, the whole thing. I want to say this, it's worth noting, under their roof equals under their authority. Right up until the age of adults. Are you here as an older person who's still under your parents' roof? You're under their authority. If you want freedom... Get a new roof. The first obedience for children is to God. Well, what could God say to fathers? Fathers were incredibly powerful. They had this huge authority, this huge responsibility for their whole houses and a disproportionate impact in the lives of their kids. What would God say to fathers? Well, he says, fathers, again, this is extraordinary. That The dad could do anything legally and literally with his kids, with anyone under his house. So what does God say to the father for children? Fathers, verse 21, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Because I can't emphasize how radical this is. Who cares about the emotional life of the children? God? Fathers, do not embitter your children is an extraordinary word of care, isn't it? Beyond teasing. Dads, we love to tease, don't we? Poke them, poke them, poke them, poke them, poke them. They don't like it now, but I'll keep going. It's pretty funny. They stop, stop being funny now, but I'm going to keep... Beyond teasing is how we need to relate. We need to be building our kids up with our words and not belittling them. Building them up with our words and not belittling them. Dads, I want to say a special word about absenteeism, workaholism, and neglect. If loving your wife was spent T-I-M-E, loving your kids is the same. How often does I'm too busy escape our lips? I've tried to make it a practice to stop whatever I'm doing. I'll work at home. I have the privilege of working at home. I've tried to make it a practice when my kids come in to stop what I'm doing and look them in the face and try and pay attention even when it's super inconvenient. 
super inconvenient because I want them to know that they are valued. I don't want them to be embittered. I certainly don't want them to be embittered because I work for the church and that might have other far-reaching, terrible consequences. Dads, can I say to have age-appropriate expectations will help your children not be embittered? I don't know why you haven't washed the car this week, kids. You're five now. If you can get onto it, that would be great. Dad, Dad, I can't reach the handle on the mower. That's right. You'll learn to walk soon. We can laugh. But dads, it is easy for us to have unreasonable expectations. Remember the incredible power of your voice. There's an amazing piece of uh, information that Phil gave me after our uh, men's life group this week uh, from Dr. James Dobson. It says this, Dobson, estima- uh, Dobson stated that men estimated they spent 15 to 20 minutes per day with their child. In reality, they had an average of 2.7 encounters per week, lasting 10 to 15 seconds each. The average preschool child watches 30 to 50 hours of television per week. Where's the influence going to come from? Dads, discipline your kids fairly. I want to say a word quickly to single parents. We think you're amazing. Bringing up kids is an extraordinary job. And if you find yourself in the position where you are doing so on your own, we want to stand with you. We think you're amazing. And we will do whatever we can as a church here to help you. I want to say that though mums aren't addressed here, we love mums and we love team parenting. It can be easy to get absolutely out of our depth individually on our own. And the joy of marriage and parenting together is you might need to hand some of the hard stuff over to one another. Dads, be available to be the helping hand in this environment. And now when Paul said, don't be harsh with them, I think he was speaking to dads and I reckon that's a pretty timeless word. Gents... Work on your gentleness. Well, there's two more relationships left here. Slaves and masters. What did it mean to be a slave in the ancient world? I'm told from my research that between 30 and 50% of the entire society were slaves. They were talking at one point about giving slaves in Rome their own dress so you could tell who a slave was, and they decided against it because they thought if that happened so many of the slaves would see what their proportion of society was that there'd be a revolution immediately. Slaves were everywhere and they weren't valued. They were called speaking tools. So imagine having Siri on your vacuum cleaner. That's that's a joke. That's a word. Uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, So they were speaking tools. In other words, words, they weren't treated as human beings. They had a task to do and they were segregated in every aspect of society except, wonderfully, in the church in Colossae, where they were sitting next to others. What would slaves be told in a world like this? Well, we see in 3.22, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. We go, boo, that's exactly what society says. How is that revolutionary? Sounds just like what Rome would tell me. Well, listen as it continues. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Can you see the difference here? Now, it's worth saying, salary isn't slavery. Whatever, whatever, whatever you think, you know, oh man, my boss is a slave driver. Yeah, 
And then you go home to your own house and make whatever food you want and you get married to... No, no, no. Somebody owned slaves. Whatever your disappointing experience of work is, they're not a slave driver. So if you earn a salary, you're not a slave. Okay? However, there are some principles here that will be really useful for us. Number one, we see that God is our first master. Who are you working for? Well, I can show you my car. No, no, no. no. Who are you working for? You're working for Jesus first. Jesus is your first master. And so you will have what we call the Protestant work ethic. What would that mean? You'll be a person of integrity. You will work hard, not only when the boss is on you. You know this experience. The boss is here. We're being very diligent because the boss is here. Does everyone know this? Am I talking strange things? When the boss is around, everyone works better, don't they? And the boss goes and we all go, oh, great, you know, boss isn't here anymore, fantastic. No, 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 that's not how the Christian will work. They will work to please the Lord, not only when the eye of their boss is on them. The Protestant work ethic came about because Protestants who believed that Jesus was their boss and acted with integrity had an extraordinary work ethic because it was an act of worship to God. And I want you to see here that you need to trust that God has great super. God has great super, right? It says here that you will receive a reward from the Lord as an inheritance. When will you receive it? It's not going to be paid to you now. Yeah, yeah, but nobody sees me when I work hard at work. Why can't I slack off? Jesus watches and Jesus will reward. Remember that your first obedience is to God. Well, what would God say to masters? Masters are literally the top of the pinnacle of, they are the beach master, if you remember that terrible elephant seal at the start, right? They have all the power, okay? They have an extraordinary uh, freedom to act within the law. In fact, they have no constraints on them whatsoever. So what will God say to the pinnacle person in society? What will he say to them? Have a look with me at verses 25 and following. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, it's worth saying that the master, the slave master, is not your boss, and we kind of did that the other way around with the salaried worker. But here's the thing. The boss, the person in charge, has awesome responsibility. And uh, there is a, a terrible reality, as I said to you before, that the masters could do anything with their slaves. Have a listen to one of those everyone comments that was there earlier in 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You won't be abused by a Christian boss because they have been told to treat you with absolute integrity. Christian bosses, you need to care for your workers. You need to act fairly. Why? Well, there was no constraints on a Roman slave master, but for you, a Christian who's a boss, why should you do this? You've got a big boss upstairs, and he has an unblinking eye on you. Why should you act fairly? You should act fairly because you're a person of integrity. You should act fairly because you're a person who's a law-abiding citizen, and Australian law requires it. But if you skip all of that, you need to act fairly because God will call you to account personally for the way you exercise your authority. Provide what is right and fair. Jesus' judgment and their humanity mean that you should be a good boss. 
You know, when it comes to why should I care for my workers, what attitude should I have as a boss, Jesus teaches us. In the first reading that we heard, we we read this. Remember the disciples were, were debating about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus comes back at them and says this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Now, can you hear how hard that is for a Roman? Do you want to be great? Be a slave of all. Extraordinary, right? And he tells you why, for even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Where did Jesus do that? On the cross. Jesus laid down his life in service of others. So what does it mean to be a Christian boss? True greatness. It's found in service. True greatness is found in service. Guys, let me assure you, that is world-changing news 2,000 years ago in Colossae. It's probably decent news in Oran Park today, isn't it? How then should we respond? Well, some of you might be thinking, well, where do I fit into this mix? We've got fathers, masters, husbands, children, slaves, wives. I think you fit in somewhere. If you're a father or a boss, this passage is challenging you. Give up living as lords. You need to stop it. If you're a child or a worker, you need to give up living as rebels. If you're a husband or a wife, you need to grow in living with love and respect. Well, what can I do with this passage? I guess, oh, I guess in theory, I could, um, I could just relax. Man, it's an ancient letter. I don't want to do any of it anyway. <laughs> just relax. And all I'd say to you is, do you think our world, which ignores this word, is doing well at the moment? I think the evidence is in. And you can relax and ignore it if you'd like to, but I think you're missing out on life and life to the full. Some of us might hear this morning something that means that we need to repent. God, you're, you're, you're poking me, you're reminding me. I need to come under your word here. And I want to say to you, it's not a serving suggestion. It's not a piece of advice that you can take or leave. It's the command of your God. It's an act of worship. And so I want to encourage you to restore relationships. I've got a ring there, but it might not be your marriage. It might be your parenting. It might be your workplace. We need to bring our relationships in line with the wisdom of God. Why would we do that? In Colossians 3, it reads reads like this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Heavenly Father, you know us, you made us, and you long for us to live in a way that is good for us, that brings honour and glory to you, and is for the good order of our society. Father, forgive us where we fall short of your holy standard. Thanks for poking and prodding us this morning. We pray that you'd give us soft hearts so we'd repent. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd equip us to live this way so that we might praise and honour you in our workday worship. Amen. Well, there you go. There's some words on bits and pieces from an old letter in the Bible. 
Hope it's been encouraging. If you can take out your Caring Connect cards, uh, we're going to fill them in now. Uh, if you are new or newish with us, uh, you might like to, uh, to let us know uh, by ticking the box that says, I'd like to let you know I'm new. I'm going to stand under a uh, big version of this sign after the, uh, after the service in the foyer there. If you're new and we haven't chatted, come and say hi. I'd love to meet you. Uh, that'd be super. Um, but if you can uh, fill out a Caring Connect card, uh, you might have a question. There was a great number of questions from this morning's 8.45 uh, service, which I'll, I'll follow up everyone who writes a question. So if you've got something bugging you, yeah, but what about, write it down or come and see me uh, after the service. We love praying for you. We have a, a pastoral care team that meets in this room at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, if there are things happening in your life at the moment that you'd like us to pray for, we would love to join you in prayer. So I'm going to give you a moment to fill those cards in uh, before our band comes back up and uh, leads us in song.